0: You are a small country, but uh, from the smaller countries of the north and in countries which have no ambition of um, controlling the economies of the south and so forth, from the the small countries of the north, I, I have immense faith simply try to understand what we are saying and make your voice heard.
1: Ex-President Julius Nyerere. Ireland's voice is heard in a small way in Africa. Our embarrassingly modest overseas development aid programme targets four countries there for priority assistance. Sudan, Zambia, Lesotho and Tanzania. And measured by way of gross national product per person, Tanzania is the poorest of the four and one of the poorest in the world. Now, the projects supported by Ireland in these countries vary, but a good number of them are agricultural. Dairying, improved grazing, strengthening the breed, that sort of thing. Medical. In Lusaka, Zambia, we organise maternity clinics, for example. Or connected to the provision of particular services. In Lesotho, we've trained accountants. That one sounded a bit upmarket to me, but I was told that the country had no accountants, so how could even a basic economic management capacity develop? But this documentary is concerned with one project in Tanzania which is unique in Irish aid. The Colossa District Development Plan in which Irish Development Cooperation the IDC works together with the local government to upgrade the infrastructure for a community of almost 400,000 people living in 312 remote and often inaccessible villages. <laughs> What are they singing about? Well, that's a few of the men of Madadumisi Village thanking us for our visit. They beat out the rhythm by hitting hollow cane sticks with small twigs. They dance round in a circle and they thank Irish Aid for bringing them a maize mill and a go-down. That's a village crop store. It took us 35 minutes to drive the five miles along deeply pitted mud tracks that lead from the main road to Madadumisi. The rainy season is due soon now. The village will be cut off. For days at a time, 2,100 people will be unable to leave their village and their farms. Shambas, they call them. People like Lashidi Shaibi and his wife, Munabebi Mususa, and their four girls and one boy will work in the Shamba and hope that the rain which cuts them off will bring their crops to ripeness. Lashidi, a substantial farmer, told me what he grows as food crops to feed the family and as cash crops to sell for money.
2: food crops we produce here at Madudumizi is maize, beans, uh, rice and millet. And on the point of a cash crop, we have got only one, only cotton. Anyway, we produce it in a large quantity here, large quantity. Even beans also. Sometimes we use it on eating and forgetting
1: money. But when the cotton is brought to the marketing board, Lashidi is often given not cash but a receipt to be claimed at a later date. The Tanzanian economy is under strain. The the country is ten times the size of Ireland. Its per capita product is just one-fiftieth of ours. In 1989, the district of Colossa, just a small part of this nation, had a government income of a little over half a million pounds. Last year, the Irish taxpayer spent one and a half million pounds in Colossa. We've built and equipped a trade school, constructed and strengthened roads and bridges, renovated the hospital and dispensaries, maintained a mechanical workshop for local government vehicles, and become involved in rural development and forestry but not all without pain. And in this programme I want to tell the story of the Colossa project in the words of some of those involved in it and to put into my own words some of the private criticisms of the stages of the development of what has been an important learning experience for the Still Infant Irish Bilateral Aid Programme. Nelly Mwajibi works in the Irish Development Cooperation Office in Kelosa Town. She married a Ugandan and lived in his country. In 1979, he died and left her with four children, whom she fed on the proceeds of running a shibin, in which she sold her home brew. In 1982, she returned to Kelosa. Irish aid to the area, which now accounts for three-quarters of all our assistance to Tanzania, was just beginning. So, what was Kelosa like?
3: There was much changes. Because I found most of the things were not in, in the shop, in, in shops. Especially essential commodities like salt, sugar, cooking oil, clothes. All these things were very scarce. And this was affected by, by the war between Uganda and Tanzania.
1: Apart from the fact that there was nothing in the shops, what about the infrastructure of Kalosa? Was it good then?
3: The roads were very also bad and some roads during the rain season were not passable. Like Kirosa to Mikumi, it was not easy for vehicles to go down there during rain season. But nowadays at least it can be passable. The
1: Kelosa programme was Ireland's response to Tanzania's request to donors to take on comprehensive development schemes in individual regions. A region was too big and expensive an undertaking for Ireland, so the district of Kelosa, where we already assisted a sisal factory and a dairy farm, was chosen. During the first phase, the biggest spending was on roads. Colossa's geography runs from floodplains to mountain ranges. At the junction where the road through Kelosa joins the main Tanzam Highway, which runs from Dar es Salaam on the coast... Westwards, across country, and into Zambia, I met up with Kieran Fitzgerald, one of the nine Irish expatriate staff, the roads engineer on leave of absence from Kilkenny County Council. The road has been substantially improved even since I was last honoured in 1986. But in recent years, Kieran's biggest headache has been a stretch across black cotton soil,
4: which has proved to be the biggest bar to travel in the rainy season. The problem really starts here. This is the black cotton soil section. This is the remaining black cotton soil. Uh, black cotton soil is something uh, something like the the Irish bog, really, uh, except that it expands uh, by about 30% when it gets wet. So, actually, about one hour's rain on this, and uh, it would be quite impassable. Um Now, over the years, uh, there were various techniques used uh, to get across the black cotton Side. because at this stage we have traversed maybe about 30 kilometres of it. But the main technique that was used was just building gravel embankments. Um, That was loading, just basically loading on the black cotton and getting the the road level above flood level and also getting good um, camber on the roadway so that the water... uh, drained off from side to side and put in good drainage but in this particular section uh, the black cotton soil is about eight feet deep now under normal circumstances you would say god you you if you were in ireland you'd say we'll have to take that out we'll have to dig that out but it's it's just not tenable it's about six kilometers long um we haven't that type of of machinery here we haven't even the the filling to backfill um when you would excavate it so it was decided about two years ago to experiment with a uh, geotextile layer, which is more or less laying a carpet on top of the existing black cotton soil. And then you need uh, that acts as a more or less a separating layer, and it stops the, uh, the mud coming up through the gravel, and by the same time the water getting down into the black cotton soil underneath. Uh, we have done approximately three kilometres of it, and it has been very, very successful. Very successful. We're very, very pleased with it so far.
1: So you're saying that one hour of rain and this road previously would not have been uh, passable at all.
4: Yes, my my driver tells us of a time when he was actually stuck, where we are sitting here, he was stuck for four days, about three years ago. And he's, he's less than gone. an hour from home? He's less than an hour from Colossa, yeah. The journey from um, the, the tarmac road, um, the, the Tanzam Highway to Colossa, used to take about six to seven hours, about four to five years ago. At this stage, even during the heaviest of the rains now, I would imagine it will take about, um, maximum about an hour and a half. Yeah, and it took us about an hour and five minutes to come down in, in, on a dry day on today. On a dry day, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's 80 km, if you came the long way from Kilosa, it's 80 kilometres. So if you came out in an hour and five minutes, you're doing very, very good. No, we easy. took the shortcut. You took the shortcut. OK, it's about 70 by the shortcut. So you came out, you, you averaged better than, uh, you averaged about 80 kilometres an hour. So that's not too bad on a gravel road.
1: But think of the hazards facing this geotextile layer. Even the rivers are liable to change course here in the rainy season. In fact, we hadn't travelled far till we came to an example.
4: Nobody knows what's happening underneath with the um, with the black cotton. It contains salts, so maybe there's a reaction with the um, with the um, the geotextile layer itself. Maybe the uh, the mud is, is starting to come up already. It it should be about 16 to 18 inches down, so we are not too sure. But um, if if you were using this technique in Ireland, uh, you would hope to get maybe 20 years life out of it. Um, uh, it might be a bit much to hope for that here, but with, with good maintenance on the roads office, and assuming that nothing is happening underneath, I, I think that uh, yes, it would be it would be quite successful, and it's quite an inexpensive um, method. It's only about uh, it only cost us about seven thousand pounds a kilometre, which is uh, in marked contrast to the rest of it. Barnabas, could you stop a second now, please? Now this is where we have the. This is where we have the problem with the this river is just is basically just a sand river. It it um there's only water in it for about four weeks of the year. Um and it has um changed course and, and appeared here next to the roadway. This is within the last two to three years. And there's no seriously threatening uh, sections of this. So we're going doing some erosion protection along it with stones.
1: And later a river which rose over the road in the rains.
4: There was two feet of water flowing across the top of the bridge here, uh, just at Easter last year. Some of our more daring candidates actually came in here one night at about 8 o'clock or half eight. The lads working in Kilosa, some of the Irish lads, and and my God, they were lucky, because the the, the water was actually over the lights on the Land Rover, and they went through in it. Well, apart from the fact you could stall, you could wash away, couldn't you? Well, they could, you see, if there's a good velocity they could. But they were, they were wise enough. They got some of the locals actually to walk ahead of the car because the problem is, of course, that you can't see where the road is. Or that, uh, when the water's on it, you can't see where the edge is or anything like that. And all these cross-culverts that we have up along here, which are about three feet over the road, uh, the, the parapet walls of them, uh, they were the only things that were visible, were the, parapet, the tops of the parapet walls. So they could guide themselves from there. And they got some locals to walk in front of them. So it delineated the road edge for them. Well, they were quite foolish
1: the think it. the locals were quite foolish for walking in front of them
4: well, the locals got paid I, suppose. <laughs> I presume that the boys paid them anyway
1: I hope they did the project has upgraded 125 miles of main road it has provided seasonal employment for up to 400 people
4: it's very easy to get staff um, but the wages are low That would be the equivalent of about um, 6 Irish pounds a month would be a basic labourer's wage now the problems are, of course, that the, the the village system of government that's here that maybe that labourer is also needed to uh, work in the village chamber for two days a week or whatever. So you have to uh, uh, fix some sort of um, a fair system for him, whereby he's not penalised back in the, in his village and at the same time can do a decent day's work. The biggest incentive here is food, and um, uh, up to now, if people work overtime, food is provided for them and. Uh, Actually, we find it costs more to feed them than to, to pay them. It's it's actually dearer to feed them, which begs the question, of course, how do they manage to keep their families on, uh, on, their, on their basic wage? But we are actually paying the maximum. We're paying an urban rate. Um, some of the other areas would not be paying even even that.
1: The job is almost complete, then just maintenance will be needed. Irish Aid will hand that responsibility over to the Swiss in 1992 and then concentrate on 700 miles of feeder roads which will give accessibility to villages like Madadumisi, five miles off the main road, which currently takes 35 minutes driving.
4: There was a, a what's called a go-down, a large store, a grain store, uh, built there, maize mill put into the place, so it's obviously very, very productive. Um, we, you could probably do the feeder road to Medio in about uh, seven to eight months, if the gravel course is, is freely available up there, if it's if it's locally available. Um, and that would be a tremendous boost to the people of Medio because um, Medio de from now on will be fairly inaccessible until about, I think, July, uh, June, June, July. It certainly would be very, very rough. I'd say it would be inaccessible, uh, March, April, May it would be inaccessible.
1: And still they sing at Madadunisi. Their feeder road will not be ready for some time, but already they have their maize mill, and the go-down is almost built. Village farmer Lashiri Shaibi on the changes to his wife's lifestyle. We used to
2: walk a long distance to carry our maize on our heads, is about uh, 20 kilometers from here. We used to go somewhere there. And uh, sometimes uh, our wives, or my wife, my wife used it to consume a long time grinding by using local stones. We have got a type of stones which is made for grinding by using stone to stone. So that time we had a, a, a problem. But uh, since... The machine was planted here, actually, those problems now have minimized it to a great
1: extent. There is no problem anymore now, what about the go down what, what it's it's being built at the moment i don't know i don't know when it's going to be finished. when do you expect it to be finished, and what changes do you think that that will bring to your life here?
2: Yeah, I think we' benefit a lot once during the completion because the or preserving our our crops is difficult. Also, we hadn't a specific a specifically place to get to to get to sell to sell our crops. That is was another problem. So I think this go down will will help us a lot because even now you see maize is 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 growing. We don't expect it to keep in our in our in our homes because in our homes there is no natural security. There is some insects that is destroying our maize, is destroying the beans, It needs somewhere to store a very safe place. So we go, we
1: will we will benefit a lot actually. Such simple advancements, but so important. From maize, the people make ugali, a kind of porridge, their staple diet. In Colossa town, Nelly Mwajibi told me about the traditional work of pounding the grain, which the maize mill has reduced to a five minute operation.
3: Usually, before the woman came to eat, it it, it used to take a week or five days because he had to pound, I mean, to skin off the the skin of the maize and soak for five days or, or even seven days so that they may become soft when he comes again to pound or to grind on the stone. So after grinding and getting flour, the flour must be put again in the sun to dry before mingling it. Then after drying, then they come to eat. So it was a long process before the woman ate.
1: And now to go along to the maize mill takes what? It
3: can take even half an hour because, he have, because there is a machine for skinning and for grinding. So only 30 minutes, then you eat. If you like, you soak your maize after skinning. If you don't want, you just win it to remove the... They will chaff, the dirty things. And then you grind it again to get the flour. And then you eat. So it, it, it doesn't take you more than one hour.
1: So that's a big change in the lives of people.
3: Of course it is. And it has, it, it has made women to feel better than pounding. Pounding is very hard, and it it was wasting a lot of time to do other things, but you keep on pounding. You can use a day only for pounding, because you want to get maize meal. You want to get maize, I mean the flour, to eat. So you have to use the whole day to do that job.
1: Well, take me through a day in the life of, of a woman in, say, in 1980, sometime around about 1980, before any of these improvements came. What time would a woman get up at? What would she do for the day? Take me through her day.
3: Uh, After she goes to sleep. Mm. It depends, woman to woman. Some, after getting up, if it is during cultivating, she goes to shamba. She cultivates there. After that, she will look for firewood. After that, she will look for some vegetables. Then she goes home. There at home, she sweeps her house and she goes to fetch some water because normally water is not in the house. It is a bit far, so he has to go there and fetch some water and come back and start preparing her vegetables. After that, she cooks some ugali. After eating, she washes her things. After that, she, if she has got something else to do, she goes on. She goes to something else to do. If he has got some washing... I mean, clothes, she will go and wash them. And in fact, it takes the whole day for a woman to be busy.
1: And what has changed now? You, do you think that life has become better for many people in this district over the past eight years?
3: Of course, every, every, as we go, changes become Every year, there are changes. We see some changes for life. For example, water. If water was very near, five years ago, but now there are some wells, some white people also came and helped us with pumping water. So water is just near. No, no, we don't fetch from rivers, we fetch from pumping method. So we can see. So that pumping. saves a lot of time? Yeah, it saves a lot of time.
1: For women and also for daughters?
3: For women, daughters, even for men, because you can go for water and waste a lot of time there. And when you come back, you find your husband has become very annoyed because you have delayed there (laughs) so he might be thinking something else which is not true
1: what would he be thinking
3: perhaps you had another man there
1: (laughs) i'm sure the improvements brought by irish aid are not threatening family life but life for the people 85 percent of whom live by subsistence farming continues to be hard and it can be hard too for the irish expatriates who come to live among them Colossa Town has four houses for those expats. At the moment, there are two families who are coming to the end of their attachments. Two more people, a mechanic and a rural development worker, have just arrived. Much of their socialising has to centre around each other, and between former occupants, there have been some tensions. There has also been divided council on how the job should be done on occasions, and that has led to some wastage. Not every pound has been well spent. At times there's been a nervous relationship with the local administration, some members of which have become a little aid-dependent. And there have been difficulties over the Mukumi vocational Training Centre to which we'll come. But let's move now to Kelosa Hospital, which in 1986 was in as bad a state of disrepair as almost any I've seen in Africa. The windows were broken, there was no mosquito gauze, the bed sheets were torn, the mattresses were unclean. Assistant District Medical Officer Dr. Shaban Mkambila told me about the basic health problems of the area. The
0: main problems which we are facing in the district, malaria is one of the commonest diseases. It kills uh, the under 5s and even adults get this problem of malaria. And number 2 among the top 10 diseases includes upper respiratory tract infection. Number 3, anemias. They get anemias from... Morelia, of course.
1: What, what, what then are your feelings about the, the Irish assistance uh, to the hospital and to the dispensaries?
0: Uh, we are very happy and we have really appreciated the, and the IDC assistance because, as I said, our hospital was a very bad one. Most of the buildings, you know, were built up a long time ago,
1: 1923. But at the moment, uh, they are real good buildings now. But there is a necessity, would you believe, for that assistance to continue? Yes, of course. We need it badly. The wards have mostly been rehabilitated by this stage. There's been a problem with the kitchen where the smoke blows back inwards. That'll have to be reworked. It's still far from what would be acceptable in Ireland, but the improvement is appreciated. One element of the Irish project which is structurally very much up to what would be acceptable here is the vocational training centre at Makumi at the southern end of the district. All 105 students chant as they jog around the campus. It's called the M'Chaka M'Chaka. It's a daily ritual before they begin their studies as motor mechanics, fitters, carpenters, joiners or construction workers. Jerry Ryan from Foss in Limerick is the project manager.
5: It's tremendous to see the enthusiasm with which they they approach the the, the whole task here. Uh, They will start in the morning uh, before 6 o'clock and uh, they will go for a jog, uh, the chaga Chaga as they call it here, for, for about uh, 20 minutes. They'll then have a shower, have breakfast. Formal classes will start at 7.30 sharp. So they assemble for a roll call, uh, just in front of us here, uh, beside the, the, the flag. Uh, after a roll call, then they're straight into the workshops and they'll work through until uh, 2.30 in the afternoon. A short break in the afternoon, uh, then they will uh, do some agricultural work. And they have study again in the evening from uh, something like 8 to 9.30. And then it slides out at 10 o'clock and up at 6 the following morning.
1: If the students live an ordered life, their college has had a less predictable development. It should have been a local tech, part of a national plan for such trade schools. Instead, it has been built like a national third-level institution, dominating the side of a hill just outside Makumi, spacious and luxurious and built at a cost which far exceeded the original intentions of the Department of Foreign Affairs. It seems the first Aries project leader had dreams beyond those of his Ivy House masters, who in turn left it to him to get on with it. It's claimed that the financial controls over the whole Colossa project have been tightened since then. According to Michael O'Mara, the building skills instructor who's there now, building into the rock was slow and expensive. But the facility is now almost complete, so what purpose
5: does it serve? The brief that we had coming in here was that these were people recruited from the villages. Uh, to go back to the villages to carry out building uh... in the villages they have a difficulty in so far as a village might be the wrong term because a village I visualize a village as being a group of of houses together the village can be very very scattered over a wide area now farming is becoming more intensive here um, the production, land, the, the yield from land is becoming better. They need godons, what we call godons, which are food stores and this kind of thing. And the idea is that the young people will come here, learn how to build from locally available raw materials. This includes stand, uh, 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 stone, which is freely available uh, <coughs> at very, very little cost throughout the region and the district. Um, but also mathafali, what they call mathafali, which is burned brick, which they make themselves... And this is, again, a very cheap material and it's available throughout uh, the district. Timber is available throughout the district. And in most cases, the v- at village level, they fell the timber themselves and put it together. So our brief on the construction course is to teach or train a person how to build a simple structure, putting in stone foundations that will not be, be attacked by, by, by insects, raising the walls either of stone or of or uh, of brick, uh, putting on a roof, making a door, making a window, or several doors, or several windows. So at the end of a two-year period, they're able to make a, sim- a simple structure. Now, the training has been geared toward that particular objective, how to make a simple structure, so that when they go back to their villages, they will be able to make simple structures. In the villages at the present time, traditionally, they're built from mud of clay and wattle made, as the poet said, in Ireland one time. And uh, But these are just stakes put into the ground, which are inevitably eaten by termites, uh, the wind blows, the rain comes, the the um, the mud um, becomes liquid again, and the house floats away. They need solid structures, particularly where food storage is concerned, where dispensaries are concerned, and these kind of things. Um, at this stage, the young people have built all of these things. What, what they're really doing now is practicing, getting a little bit better, building up their speed. Headmaster
1: Walter Shaidi says even the national newspapers say Makumi Trade School is the best of its type. In what way? This training centre, comparing to
0: other training centres in Tanzania, it seems to be the best. And there was an article in the 23rd of December in the Daily News, which is the main newspaper, and uh, a journalist from the Radio Tanzania of of Dar es Salaam inspected the school, and they they wrote that this is the best training centre, equipment, toys, and... And the teaching standards.
1: So, what what has it got? What what is it that makes it different from the others?
0: Uh, It has got most of the training materials. Most of the training centres, vocational training centres, have have not got enough training materials. Therefore, the students are not properly trained, and they haven't got reliable instructors. Uh, Instructor keeps leaving the school, and everything is uh, disrupted. But this training centre is running smoothly has enough training materials for students to to do their skills.
1: Are yeah. there any difficulties that you come across in in, in being principal of uh, a training centre which has got an input both from uh, the, the, the region, the district and the region, and obviously central government, and also a foreign donor? Yeah. Uh, the problem which I have at the moment is
0: that the Irish... Uh, folks are contributing the major part, ninety percent actually, for 1990, and the district is supposed to contribute ten percent with the help of the central government. B- and uh, the district's contribution last year was to be 1.2 million shillings, and they only contributed three hundred thousand shillings, so they contributed one quarter of what they sh- one quarter of what they should contributed. In other words, one quarter of their ten percent. Mm-hmm. S- and uh, this year they 're supposed to contribute twenty now i 'm i 'm worried that if they couldn 't contribute
1: uh more than a quarter of a ten percent,
0: how are they going to make for the twenty percent
1: so in effect, you survived last year on ninety two and a half percent of yeah. what should have been your budget yeah. and that what what effect does that have? What do you lose out on by not having that that extra section of your budget I lose in the
0: fact that I have to cut corners. I have to cut down expenses and uh try to survive slim. And also sometimes I end up carrying up debts into the
1: next year which should have been paid last year. And that could be a deteriorating situation obviously if they pay just, you know, a small percentage of the 20% this year.
0: Yeah, I don't expect them to be able to raise any substantial Amount in the in the, in the future, because the collection, the amount of collections they make, is so meagre compared even to the amount of of, of the expenditure, and uh, their commitment is uh, in question at the moment. And uh, there is a review team recommended by Fintan Farrells and John Grindle's research from Ireland who came down here, and they're recommending that a review team be set up to address the future training needs of this centre, the future relationship of this centre in the whole network of vocational training centres in Tanzania and funding.
1: The Wise Men Committee, as it's called, must decide how best to integrate Makumi Trade School into serving Tanzania's needs. It seems it must be made more of than was originally intended. But already the government is failing to reach the level of contribution it was intended to make and just to call it a national institution but fail to provide the necessary funds would leave it as a white elephant on the outskirts of a national park which has its share of real elephants. Let's visit the area
5: and its history with Michael O'Mara. About 700 metres in that direction there, which is slightly north of where we're sitting, is the official boundary of Makumi National Park. Makumi National Park is about the size of Munster. Uh, it's at the tip of uh, the northernmost tip of uh, the saloo or zealous game reserve which is as big as ireland virtually uh, it's probably the biggest game reserve in the whole world um, there's all the large animals are there the, the hippos and the elephants and so on we've got lions, and indeed where we're sitting now i came up here one morning and just out there maybe 10 yards away from where we're sitting there was a, le- a leopard sitting there we've had um, lions on the site here We've had um, hyenas on the site, we've had impala on the site, we've had zebra on the site. Not so much now because um, we're getting a little bit more developed and we're clearing the bush back towards the National Park and that gives us a a buffer zone. Um, It's a very interesting area to be in. Uh, I think that surprised me very much when I came here was when the students came in from the villages which were around the Kelosa district. Many of them had never seen an elephant. Many of them had never seen a zebra. So one of the things we do early on in the course is bring them out for a trip to the national park, and they're quite amazed at these animals out here that they've heard of but have never seen in their life before. And uh, they talk about this for days afterwards. And if we see lions, of course, the lion is the big one. Uh, they, they can talk for this months afterwards, and they always want to get their picture taken with a lion. And uh, Makumi is an interesting place. Otherwise, it's, it didn't exist, really, 30 years ago. Um... If you can imagine a line going from north to south, at the top of that line was a, to- a, a town called Colossa, which is the, the district seat, if you like, the county town, as we might call it in Ireland. And then at the bottom of the line, you have a town called Ifikara, which is a dead end. When you get there, all you can do is turn around to come back because there's big swamps down there. You're into zealous at that stage. Um, and then somebody came along and they built the road across the middle of it, which they called the Tanzam Highway, the Trans-Tanz. This is the road that was built with copper money to get the copper out of Zambia up to the port of Dar es Salaam for shipping out to the rest of the world. and um, When that road came in, it formed a crossroads at a little village. Well, it wasn't a village at the time, but they called it Doma. And there was a river there, and there was a small ford there, not a bridge as there is now. But the river used to flood, so somebody decided that it's not a good place to have a village. So they moved the village about a mile to the east, and that is now Makumi where we are there it's just, just sitting down there behind us and um, that was the late 50s early 60s and um, the reason there was never a town or a village here was because if you can imagine the Indian Ocean being over there um, on your right hand side someplace and Zanzibar and Pemba and a town called Bagamayo these were the centres of the slave trade for a thousand years up to the late last century and uh, the slave route came from Dar es Salaam westwards in as far as a large town called Moragoro. Uh, through a town called Shillinzi, which the, is the road to the north in Kilimanjaro. And then it went, it continued further westward because to a town called Colossa. If it had gone, we'd say, slightly south of that, it would have gone into Makumi National Park, the Badlands, where there's Tsetse fly particularly. People didn't live there because of the Tsetse fly. They couldn't keep cattle there. There's a lot of swamps there. The place is, is flooded quite a lot. It's a good crocodile area. And uh, in general, people didn't live there. Uh, so it was a, just a big empty area. Then they built the Tanzan Highway through it, so suddenly people had access to this area. North of the road they made Bakumi National Park, south of the road is Nal and uh, So traditionally there's never been people in this area, but when the crossroads came, people suddenly came to this area, and in the early 60s, uh, about 1965, the Catholic Church came in, um, the Carmelites, and they built, uh, they built um, a mission, and they opened a school there, and about 1966, seven people attended the school. Now you've got um, nigh on 2,000 children going to school between the two villages, Doma and, and, uh, and uh, Kidoma and uh, Makumi. The population here has exploded. Not because of the availability of land, because to the west, to the east, is Makumi National Park and they can't put in crops there because the animals, the wild animals, will come in and eat the crops. To the south are the Wazunga Mountains, the Wazunga Mountains, and it's bad farmland. They can't farm there. So what people tend to do when they come to Makumi. And I must say, there's no single tribe in Makumi. There are many, many different tribes from parts of Tanzania. What they do is tend to be uh, traders catering to the traffic that is moving between uh, Zambia and and, uh, Dar es Salaam. At the present time, we've got two petrol depots here where petrol is bought and diesel is brought from Dar es Salaam as far as Makumi, deposited there in great big tanks and then other lorries come from Mbeya and further west. Uh, to take it down there. We have a railway station at this stage. This is the new school that has come into makumi There's a new hospital being built here. The bank has just opened up a few months ago here. There's a post office there. There's actually a telephone now at this stage. and But it's still a village, very much a village. A mix and gathering village, essentially to cater for the traffic on the Tanzan Highway. There's no slave route anymore, but it is said that Spake and Burton and all these people, they came through here and uh, slightly north of here. Uh, at uh, Kisanga, which is about 10 miles away from where, where we're on. That was the old slave route. And you can actually follow the slave route by looking at the trees. There's huge mango trees all along the slave route because the Arabs used to put in these trees to feed the slaves so there would be fruit along the way. And wherever you see now a big, old, established mango tree, that's the slave route that you're on at the present time. You'll see them on the way back to Dar Salaam probably when you come to Moragoro.
1: The slaves, a thing of the distant past. And at the trade school, 105 trainees, hoping their government and our government continues to provide the necessary funding. The Wise Men Committee has a job in front of it. The Tanzanian economy is going backwards. The Irish Aid Programme hopes to raise the trade school and the rest of the Colosa project to the point of sustainability and then move on. So let's hear the views of some of the people I met on sustainability. Tom Redmond is coming to the end of his spell as administrator of the whole project.
5: It will take um, a little while longer, I would think. I mean, it's not something that will be over in two years or three years or four years. Uh, We're trying to build up the uh, management within different areas within the district, Uh, but that will take some time. Is there any chance of an aid dependency
1: uh, developing here and that the people here would say, well, it's all right so long as the Irish stay?
5: There is always a danger, I think, in in any aid project that there will be the dependency on the aid agency. What we try and do uh, is it's not only IDC uh, funding the projects, there is uh, kind of self-help projects uh, which the villagers uh, themselves supply uh, the bricks or whatever um, and the district would supply the labourers Uh, But there there is always that danger, but we're we're trying
1: to get away from that. Kalosa businessman Abdallah Senkubu fears even for the roads. If the aid stops, immediately, maybe after a year
0: or two years, continuation of maintaining the roads to be as it looks now, no, it won't be easy. It will drop down and then we will lose our hopes that the district is
1: developing for the roads on that because now it is too costly. Nelly Majibi says part of the answer is in the hands of the people.
3: I think we, we better, we better also, we people ourselves do more work instead of, instead of being lazy, because some people are very fond of. Lottering, doing nothing. Sometimes even in the office, some people are doing nothing. They waste time only on other things. They go out and do their own things there instead of doing government jobs.
1: Well, on government salaries, most people have to find some outside project to feed their families. Karen Fitzgerald is more hopeful, just
4: up until this year, I would have said no because they, they certainly didn't have adequate funding uh, to carry out a proper maintenance system on them. But this year, I, I see a glimmer of hope because um, the money that has been made available from the um, regional uh, offices um, seems to me to be adequate to uh, to fund the operation. Now, the other side of sustainability, of course, is um, are the people capable of carrying out the work Uh, that uh, That is a problem. It is a big problem area. There is an enormous amount of training has to be done. And unfortunately, there aren't facilities in Tanzania at the moment. Uh, to carry out this type of work, but it is in train. The International Labour Organization are, are starting off some training schools. There is one in Kenya, but unfortunately it is very, very difficult to get entry into it. So that side of thing is being looked after, but it probably will take a few years. It probably will take maybe three to four years to get a, a proper, uh, properly funded and properly set up training institution. Uh, if both happen together, if we have proper training and adequate funding, yes, it is sustainable. The Colossa project has had its problems, but it has taught
1: lessons to Irish development aid. To be involved in a broadly based programme is, in itself, arguably more challenging than sticking to smaller, more confined projects. The work so far has increased economic activity in Colossa. In the coming years, primary schools in the district will benefit from the programme so that it reaches those most in need. At present, the schools have sufficient desks for only one third of their pupils. Four out of five classrooms have no blackboards. The needs at every level are immense. Irish Aid has learned more about working with an African national and local administration. And the people of a whole district have learned something about the Irish taxpayers' contribution to the interdependence of the world. Mikumi headmaster Walter Shaidi.
0: Oh, they are very, very much aware. And they they very much appreciate that. Because even a common man in Mikumi, in a pub... Would be talking about how will this be project? How will this project be when the Irish people leave? You know, they're very aware that the success here is because of the Irish taxpayer, and uh, pe- people are saying that oh goodness me, when the Irish leaves, it will be a big problem. We cannot probably manage. How are you going to manage? You know, they keep talking about that thing, and um, and uh, and it's so much central to this project that everybody knows that it's the Irish taxpayers' money which is doing this. And they're wondering what we are going to do when eventually the Irish people have to pull out uh, after so many years. Everybody's asking, when are they pulling out? And uh, they're saying, we hope they won't pull out for the next, say, 10 years or so. so. They, They regard their participation as very, very vital to this project.